So the ninth commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Or in other words, you shall not lie. We live today in a world full of mistruth, exaggeration and downright falsehood. Almost every day we will receive an email or a text message telling us that we have won something or that someone needs urgent help. All of these phishing scams attempt to get our bank details. Almost every hour our young people will look at a social media post where a model has been airbrushed or a photo has been faked. This is the age of conspiracy theories where climate science continues to be denied. Donald Trump is the only one who can defeat QAnon and COVID-19 was a deliberate act to control population growth. We're even lied to by our politicians. Remember the Christmas party fiasco? Politicians are now seemingly so economical with the truth that the BBC News website has a whole reality section where it actively tests every claim made in their speeches. But of course, it's not just the criminals and the famous who are guilty. Lying has become second nature to so many of us. We lie at work about the hours we've worked and the length of our lunch breaks. We lie at home. Sorry, darling, I, I thought we had more in the account than that. We lie to the taxman about our necessary expenses. We lie to the doctor about the amount of exercise we do and the amount of alcohol that we drink. We even lie to the police. Sorry, officer, I had no idea that was the speed limit. I promise I won't do it again. Honest. In fact, there are so many lies told today Many of us doubt whether real subjective truth even exists anymore. We're trained to doubt and mistrust everything. And one of the things that I want to tell you today is that yes, that truth definitely does exist. We may feel like we're drowning in an ocean of falsehood, but truth can still be found and held onto in the personhood of God. I would like to set up the contrast between God and us as human beings in this area of lies and truth telling. The Bible tells us that at the very centre of God's character is truth. Indeed, there is nothing false in him at all. He is the God of truth. He is the God who is truth. He is true to his word. True to his character, true to his nature at all times. And this is something unfamiliar to us. As human beings, we are at best inconsistent. And sometimes good character can only be skin deep. How often in court we hear the sad statement, I don't know what came over him. It's most unlike her. He acted completely out of character. God never acts out of character. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is always true to himself. He never has anything to hide. 
Despite the instant mistrust that so many have in our world today to the things that are told to them, there are still ways to test if something is true or not. Scientists conduct experiments. Journalists use multiple sources. Police cross-examine witnesses. We know that God is true, not just because of descriptive words written down about him in the Bible, but because in Jesus, human beings have seen God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked the dusty streets of Israel as the full revelation of God's character. Jesus was a man, but a man unlike any other who has ever lived before or since, because Jesus never lied or misled. And Jesus invited us to test everything about him on one truth. He declared that three days after his death, he would rise again. A feat that has never been done before or since. An act totally unique. And when that happened on Easter Sunday morning, everything was proved true. His words, his character, his identity as God. Now, if God is true, and the life of Jesus proves that he is, then we have to accept that this God knows everything about us. Everything we think, everything we say is known by him. And one day it will all be made plain. One of the most unsettling things that Jesus ever said was this in Luke 8, 17. There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. You see, God's truth is so perfect, will out our deceit. If God is the God of truth, unfortunately, by comparison, we human beings are people of lies. We may not lie all the time about everything, but we prefer to modify the truth far more frequently than we care to admit. Dr. Leonard Keeler was the inventor of the lie detector. He researched 25,000 people while he was designing his instrument. At the end of his work, he reached a depressing conclusion. Keeler said, people are basically dishonest. Think of all the types of lie that we tell. Let's use a made-up scenario. We're at work. We scratch the company vehicle on a gatepost. Later on, the boss sees the damage and comes in asking a few questions. The first type of lie we use are the blatant ones. Wasn't me. I didn't even drive it today. Then there's the lie of silence, isn't there? We know it was us, but we failed to admit it. We don't even say a word when the boss is asking. And then there are those lies made up of misleading hints. I was parked at the co-op. You know how tight the road is there. Perhaps a passerby scratched it on the way past. But do you know what? At the heart of all these different sorts of lies is the one lie 
that we're telling ourselves. The lie of self-deception. And this is the worst lie of all. More often than not, we lie to protect ourselves. We lie to protect ourselves from the truth of what we are, rather than what we like to think that we are. We're fallible, and we make mistakes, and are prone to making bad decisions as well. Think about all the lies that we have personally told recently. I'm sure we can remember them. How often were they to deny something, or cover something up? How often were they to evade the responsibility of something that we did? We prefer almost anything to admitting that we are guilty, don't we? And this temptation affects every human being. Even the youngest child parents will know this well. Interestingly, it's so universal, we see it right at the beginning of the Bible. I'm sure we know the story of Adam and Eve. They eat the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. And that evening, God comes down to visit them. What is the first thing Adam and Eve do? They hide to try and avoid the consequences of what they have done. When that does not work, for God can see them, they then try to pin the blame rather than take any responsibility. Adam protests that it was Eve's fault. Eve, in turn, accuses the serpent. No matter what happened, neither of them could admit their fault or guilt. In the breaking of the very first rule in history, the universal human characteristic of ducking responsibility began. Blame it on someone else, something else, anything else. Lie if you need to, just don't admit it. So God is the God of truth and human beings are people of lies. What happens when the two meet? Well, everything is exposed. Do you remember the story of Jesus' trial in the Gospel? It shows us what deceitful human beings do when we get our hands on God. On that night, 2,000 years ago, a hastily convened assembly of religious leaders summoned the arrested Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to pass sentence. But to do that, they needed charges of wrongdoing. And of course, that wasn't easy to pin down on the Holy Son of God. So in the lack of any true evidence, they lied. False accusations fly across the chamber. Jesus' words are deliberately twisted and misreported by false witnesses. Quite simply, when confronted by the one human being that was completely true, who was in fact the truth, human beings lied about him. And then of course Jesus was summoned by Pilate, the Roman governor, and Pilate was unnerved by Jesus, and so he questioned him at length, trying to work him out. And at one point, Pilate asked Jesus a direct question as to whether he was king. And this is what comes next in John 18, 37. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
What is truth? Retorted Pilate. Pilate's pathetic question echoes down through the ages to us today. He was so blinded by lies, the lies of society, the lies that he told himself, that he failed to recognize the truth even when it was standing at arm's length away from him. And we are just the same. And then once the corrupt sentence had been passed, Pilate also exhibited our shared habit of refusing to take responsibility. He famously washed his hands, didn't he? As if shedding the blame for a judicial murder could be washed away as easy as a trip to the bathroom. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. We have said the same ever since. People today often say, well, if Jesus only came now, then I'd believe in him. Nonsense. We do exactly what they did then. We try and change his views. We try and silence him. And if that didn't work, we would kill him. Jesus was not executed by morons or unbalanced lunatics. He was executed by sophisticated, educated, even religious people who simply wanted to preserve the status quo and protect themselves. The people who had Jesus executed were perfectly ordinary human beings, just like you and me. People of lies. So this is the revelation of the Bible. God, and only God, is truth. And human beings are people of lies. And when God draws near, our lies are exposed for all to see. Every lie we have ever told is in plain sight of God. And that should be a sobering thought for us all. But do not fear, there is good news. Because if at the trial of Jesus we see humanity trying to lie to preserve their own interest and protect their own fragile sense of ego, if at the trial of Jesus we see humanity refusing to take any responsibility at all for their own wrongdoing and sin, thankfully at the cross we see the opposite in God. God names sin for what it is. He exposes our lies and then he takes responsibility for them all. On the cross, Jesus took responsibility for all the bad things that we have done. The one truly innocent party in all history became guilty so we could be spared our guilt. Pilate may have washed his hands to protect himself, but Jesus stretched his hands wide to save others. Every single person in this room has lied. We've probably done it this week, and we will probably do it again in the next. But every single person in this room can be forgiven if we turn to Jesus. So we have recognized that our world is flooded with lies. We recognize that each one of us has contributed to that and we have tried to escape responsibility somewhere, but thankfully we can be forgiven. Assuming that we feel some gratitude for our forgiveness, 
I want us now to think about, well, what can we do to combat the temptation to lie that we feel so often? First of all, I think we need to be aware of the power of the tongue. In the Bible, James describes the tongue as a restless evil full of deadly poison. He describes it like the rudder of a great ship that, though small, steers the course and sets the direction. In other words, our words, which are so easily spoken, can spread quickly. And in spreading, they become irretrievable. We cannot get a lie back once it is spoken. There is a story of a man in the Middle Ages who confessed to a monk that he had sinned by spreading lies about someone in the village. What should he do about it? The monk told him to go out and put a feather on every doorstep in the village. The man rushed away and fulfilled his penance as quickly as possible and then returned to the monk. To his surprise, the monk then told him to go back and pick up all the feathers. The man protested. By now, they would have been blown away by the wind. They'd be miles away. The monk said, that is exactly what happens when you lie about someone else. We need to be aware of the power of the tongue. And when we talk, we must make sure that we do it well and truthfully. Secondly, we must remember the cost of lying. I think it can be found in four different areas. There is the cost to society at large. Every year, fraudulent benefit claims cheat the social services of billions of pounds. Insurance companies now assume that almost every claim involves dishonesty, so they spend more and more on fraud investigation every year. As a result, we all pay higher taxes and we all pay higher insurance premiums. The whole of society is affected by our lives. There is the cost to our relationships. Lying always breaks down trust, doesn't it? It leads to paranoia and the breakdown of friendships and marriages. Once a lie has been discovered between friends or family or lovers, it's almost impossible to get the trust back to where it was before the lie was uttered. There's the cost of lying to ourselves. You know, the sad reality is, is that a liar ends up completely unable to trust others. They will always think, if I lie, perhaps that person is lying to me. If we are a regular liar, we also lose the ability to detect what is right and wrong in our own lives. The Bible says that we can only come and know God when we admit our wrong attitudes and actions and repent of them. But if we have consistently lied to ourselves, we may think that we have nothing to repent of. Many people on Isla believe that. The habit of lying is like disabling the warning signals on a car. We enjoy the comforting illusion that there are no problems in our lives whatsoever. But that prevents us from taking the necessary action before it is too late. And then there is the cost of lying to the spread of the gospel. 
If we as a Christian on Isla become known as a liar, someone who is unfaithful or dishonest or cannot be trusted, then the community are going to have no time for us at all. And when we try to talk to them about Jesus, they are not going to listen to a word that we say. Lying always has a cost. And we should remember that before we are willingly launch in to our next bending of the truth. The third way that we can fight this temptation is to shun gossip. Oh, how important this is in a small island community like ours. Earl Wilson once said, gossip is when you hear something you like about someone you don't like. Gossip falls under the ninth commandment because its words are always against our neighbours. And often, they are false. In fact, one of the characteristics of gossip is that whether the information is true or not is fairly irrelevant. The wisdom of Proverbs talks a lot about gossip. In Proverbs 26.20, it says this, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Gossip is hurtful and damaging and it always multiplies in size as it travels. And so we must try really hard not to gossip. Perhaps we should think to ourselves, is this gossip that's about to come out of my mouth, if it was written down, would I sign it? If the person that this gossip is about was standing next to me, would I still say it? If the answer is no to either of those questions, we should not say it. It is false testimony against a neighbour. We must try to stop gossiping on ourselves and we should challenge others when they try to pass gossip on to us. Remember, people who gossip are always gossiped about themselves. So we thought about how to fight this temptation to lie. I want to finish with the positive. How can we become known on Isla as people of the truth. As I said earlier, by our very human nature, this is going to be difficult. We're going to need the forgiveness of Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit to do this, but we can do it in His strength. And here are two practical guides. First of all, let us become encouragers, people who speak the truth in love, always attempting to build others up rather than knock them down. I came across a great acrostic this week, and I know Emily is doing this with the children right now. We should think before we speak. And by that I mean we should ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say true? If it isn't, don't say it. Is what I'm about to say going to help the situation? If it's not, don't say it. Is what I'm about to say inspiring? Will it encourage? Will it spur the person on to do something better? Is what I'm about to say necessary? A comment may be true to what you think, but it might not be necessary to say it out loud in that moment. It may do more harm than good. Is what I'm about to say kind? We want people to be kind to us, don't we? So therefore, we should afford them the same. 
our job as followers of Jesus is to encourage those around us just like he has encouraged us. That doesn't mean falsely flattering them, because that's lying too. But seeking to build them up and encourage them rather than knocking them down. And finally, we're to be people of our word. Psalm 15 starts off with a question. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? And in the next four verses, there are 11 descriptions of what a righteous person is like. And four of them are based on our words. We're to speak truth, utter no slander, cast no slurs. And the fourth one is, a righteous person keeps their oath even when it hurts. A righteous person keeps their oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Broken promises break relationships. Broken promises cause hurt and pain. They spread mistrust. We need to be true to our word. And that may mean saying no to a request rather than taking it on when we cannot see it through. It's better to be honest up front than to let someone down later. But we are to be true to our word if people are going to trust us at all. So the ninth commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Speaking is a serious matter. Sadly, in our society today, we take words far too lightly. Honesty is vital for the health of our community, for our relationships, and for us as individuals. Wonderfully, despite our tendency for falsehood, God is true, always speaks truth, and he's not scared of responsibility either. I want to leave you with one final verse. This is 1 John 1, 8-9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us allow our Saviour Jesus to be the inspiration for living truthfully this week. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us right now.